0: This episode of PD Insider was filmed prior to the outbreak of COVID 19, now affecting the world. In it, Jen and I do discuss the concept of remote working. We decided to leave that portion of the conversation because we believe there are some useful strategies there, despite how the world has changed. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Welcome to PD Insider, the podcast edition. In each episode, we bring you conversations with experts in the law firm professional development community so that you can stay current on industry trends, topics, and innovations. In this episode, PLI's Craig Miller speaks with Jennifer Bluestein of Perkins Coie. Jennifer addresses one of the leading issues facing PD teams, how to ensure new associates find their footing and excel at a large law firm. Jennifer discusses many of the concepts explored in her best-selling PLI Press title, An Associate's First Year, A Guide to Thriving at a Law Firm. She also shares well-tested best practices and valuable insights for helping your new associates begin a successful career. Welcome, Jennifer. We're pleased to have you join us.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Would you agree that one of the keys to success in any career, and for a new lawyer especially, is strong communication skills?
1: Absolutely. Whether it's written communication, verbal communication, it all comes back to how are you sharing information and hearing information with the people you work with and the people you're serving.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and today there are more communication methods than ever. Uh, how do you prepare a new associate to select the most appropriate method for a situation?
1: We actually take the time to train our junior associates on not just communication skills, but as part of that, the decision to communicate in a particular way. What methods are you using and why? And the simplest thing that we tell people regularly is you have to think about having the communication about how you're gonna communicate. So we encourage our junior associates um, in our training for first years to sit down and as they're taking their first assignment, ask the person, whether it's an associate or a partner, how do you like to be communicated with? How often do you want those updates? Do you prefer text? If it's during the day or during the evening, does that make a difference to you? We really want them to start having that conversation early and often.
0: Do you find that because of technology and the speed of communication, you know, not everyone focuses on etiquette, uh, let alone grammar and spelling. Uh, So how do you let them know Uh, what is acceptable and, 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 and how to work it through.
1: There are some things that I think are just basic aha moments that we try to bring to them early. And so having a fairly senior partner simply tell them, when you email me, that is work product. Whether it's a short question or short answer, you're giving me an impression of your attention to detail and your communication skills, and so that has to be excellent work product. And even if you're texting me, having typos makes me think you're careless. And just having them hear that early on, I think, is the wake-up call that they need. It doesn't necessarily change their habits, but at least it gets them to start paying attention.
0: So that's perfect. So they understand and can distinguish whatever normal communication they have from communication that actually rises to the level of their work product. Right. Uh, do you get feedback, either positive or negative, from uh, from clients about uh, the different means of communication? I mean, some clients may like the informality of it and like being, you know, addressed in, uh, in different means than in the past, not necessarily a formal uh, paragraph structured email. Uh, it can cut both ways having all of these choices in communication.
1: Right. Now, keep in mind for first years, we train them to think about senior associates and partners as their clients, not just externally, because especially at some large firms, their early contact may just be internal not necessarily at Perkins Coie, but we train them for whatever career they're going to have. And so we tell them really openly, anybody you're working with is your client. And so if it's a third year associate, that's your client. And you have to be really careful about those communications and be really professional so that you make sure that you're meeting their expectations. And so to that end, I regularly get feedback. Sometimes it's really positive, Sometimes it's more a question of, I don't think this associate understood what my expectation was, how do I clarify it? And so that's something where we're kind of coaching the coach, if you will, so that they're understanding what assumptions they make because what you assume as a 10th year partner may not be what an associate in their first year practice is assuming.
0: Besides that's what sounds like coaching, do you actually develop any sort of uh, communication programs uh, for first years?
1: So, we have a first year retreat, and I know a lot of firms do that, and in those different programs that different firms have, everybody approaches it a little bit differently. We actually have an internal communications consultant. She's also a trial consultant. She's a PhD in communications. One of the things that we have our first years go through in our new, new associate retreat is a program with the communications consultant about appropriate and professional communications and how to be clear and concise.
0: Oh, so that's great. So you really take it to that level, have somebody with a PhD come in and actually impart their wisdom about how to best communicate.
1: Right, right. And she is actually somebody that we make available to our clients as well. And so when you talk about what feedback do we get, she sets the gold standard because not only do clients get the advantage of her trainings, but they know that we're using her to train train our first years as well.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great, uh, and I'm sure they benefit from that exposure too. Definitely. Uh, talking about the interactions between the new associates and uh, uh, the other other partners and, and associates, more senior associates in the law firm. You know, the trend today, of course, is to uh, remote and dispersed you know, workplaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, has has that trend uh, come to your firm? Uh, do associates uh, expect or want to work remotely? And and if they do, how does how does that impact their career?
1: So I think remote work is the reality of today's workforce, in part because people live so far from work or they have really horrific commutes, even if they live very close, just because of traffic patterns and what have you. So we know that's a reality, but at the same time, uh, we really want associates to think about what's the value of coming into the office? And especially the more junior they are, or if they're new laterals as well, they really need to build those relationships. They get work because somebody trusts them. They receive work and more work after that because they do a good job. And doing a good job means building a relationship and understanding expectations. And so I think there's this old fashioned notion of, oh, is there FaceTime, is there not FaceTime? It's not just about FaceTime. What we hear from junior associates sometimes is, I like coming into the office because I learn more. And where we have certain practices, there are some practices where they're just, they're in trial so much, they're not present in the office as much. Um, especially the partners, the ones that are going to trial. And so we really try and balance that so that associates are communicating about what they need. But once they're settled and they have those relationships, especially if they have some huge document they just need to crank out and they don't want distractions, they wanna go work at home, they go work at home. But we also talk about having that level of communication because an associate may say, well, I'm on Skype and I'm on green, so anybody can reach me anytime. But they don't understand that somebody who is not used to that method of communication and remote work doesn't feel comfortable picking up the phone or going on Skype and reaching them. They feel like they're inaccessible. So having those conversations and training people to bridge those gaps is really important. But the bottom line is associates have to, I think, decide for themselves how they can work best, but they also have to really monitor that they're building the relationships and getting the work that they need. We do often have junior associates saying, well, I don't have enough work, and the partners are like, they're never around. I don't really think of them. They need to be in the office more. So we're balancing that, and that's a complex issue for everybody, but we think that it's worth it because that's just the reality of today's workforce.
0: Speaking of the complexity, I mean, do you also find that the inverse can be true, that the new associates are there in the office, but some of the more senior people have more flexible work uh, situations, and, and they, they may be remote, so that the, uh, the new associates may not have that direct access either. Right. Do you find that uh, people at the firm are willing to adopt some of the tools that you mentioned to help foster better communication, whether it's Skype or Green or other methods in which uh, when someone's at their PC, they know, uh, you know, they know that they're there and they know how to reach them immediately and, and that kind of thing?
1: Yes, it's funny because one of the things that I find that people don't always know about are just the basic things of screen sharing, that you can share a screen with your associate and go over changes, or the associate can say to the partner, hey, let me share my screen with you. And that's actually better than being down the hallway Mm -hmm. because there's no leaning over. It's just, hey, I'm going to make changes to this document. I'm going to share my screen, take a look at it with me. So we try and model it and show them. We also have the training formal training, which most people feel like they don't have time to do. But I kind of feel like you don't have time not to do it because the technology brings you so much more interaction than what you would otherwise have on a phone call.
0: But being together in that war room is really what uh, what people still want sometimes.
1: I think so, you look at corporate though and there are all these transactions, you know, it used to be, I, this sounds terrible, right, but back when I was an associate, I was not a corporate associate, but. People would be up all night and they'd be turning the documents and they'd be at the copy center. And they were working on it and closing deals in a conference room. And now that's not how deals close. They're doing it from their respective offices and they're exchanging documents and there's e-rooms and all kinds of things Mm -hmm. like that. So you can have a closing and never be in the same room. That's very different. But at the same time, they have changed their practice over time, it was gradual, it wasn't something that just happened overnight. And so the practice of law changes, we need to change with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And with respect to that, so what other professional skills need to be addressed in the first few months of a new associate's time at the firm?
1: I think executive functioning, time management, um, billing, You know, how do you track your time in a way that shows value, so that when you enter it and it goes to a bill a client is looking at it saying oh wow that that was worth something as opposed to just you know further review of this document uh, those are all i think really important skills and the ability to forecast to what is going to be needed four or five days from now a week from now so that You take on an assignment knowing you can get it done by the deadline. I think that's one of the hardest things because we know that first years are going to be less efficient. We know it's going to take them longer. They don't have any idea, so they're relying on us when we're giving them the work. So I think part of what we're trying to do is we're training associates to have that judgment based on experiences they haven't quite yet had. And that's where training can be really helpful.
0: So that kind of ties into the whole idea of the business of law and how a law firm runs and operates, and understanding how the associates in their role generate value uh, right. for the firm and for clients. When do you actually start to get into that? We've we've heard from some of the previous guests on PD Insider that uh, they don't really address that in the first year. They want the, f- the first most important thing is competency in terms of practice uh, and becoming a lawyer in that sense. Uh, but. You know, no one can ignore or overlook the the business model. Uh, So when when do you think is the appropriate time uh, in the new lawyer's development to address that?
1: I don't think it's ever too early. We have always taken the approach, anywhere that I've worked, that more knowledge is more useful. And so whether it is starting at a first-year level, telling them about, we call it law firm rocks, Um, how a billable hour becomes a dollar. So just like Schoolhouse Rock, we have Lock and Rock. And there's no music involved though. But showing the associates, this is your rate, if this is the amount of time you put in, that's not what the firm gets. And talking about realization rates and discounts, not in an overwhelming way, but I still remember the first time I heard the word whip, work in progress. And it was only after I stopped practicing law and I was in consulting. And I remember hearing that and I thought, how come I never learned that as an associate? That to me was a lost opportunity because I sat there thinking, well, let's see, this is my salary, this is my billable rate, and I bill 2100 hours, so they're making, wow, they're making all that money off me? Okay, minus my assistant. And I thought that's all there was. It didn't occur to me that there was a cost for having a computer, an office, a desk, everybody around me marketing that just that concept of overhead did not occur to me and i think it's important because especially because we're looking at every associate we bring in as a future owner how can you bring in a future owner and say we'll we'll tell you about that 5 years from now why would you not start telling them early and often and i think it also encourages their own efficiency so we do it right at the get-go. And another way that we do it is we have a Jeopardy game. And so it's law firm Jeopardy, and it's done by our CFO at Perkins Coie, Trevor Varnes. And he has the answers, and people have to come up with the questions. And it's about the terminology and how things work and what something is called. And I think people find it really useful. And then we do it again at different levels so that we're reinforcing it. We don't assume they're gonna remember it from the time they're first year. But it stays with them so that when we start talking about bills and we start talking about profitability or reduced revenue or increased revenue, they know where we're coming from.
0: Well, that's great. So it's really creative and engaging. Uh, It sounds like fun. I hope so. Uh, And uh, it also sounds like you take an assumptive approach that the new associates joining the firm put themselves on a partnership path. Uh, We see now that there are many alternatives to that that exist both in the law firm itself and outside, and we all kinds of uh, uh, conditions of employment that uh, lawyers can have within the law firm structure, whether they become counsel, whether they become non-equity partners, whether they you know uh, do other kinds of things even in the firm that can be somewhat alternative to being in a practice group itself and, 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 uh, and practicing a specific area. They could be knowledge management, attorneys, there are all kinds of roles nowadays. How do you, how do you sort of address that? I mean, you talked about ownership, so in, you do you believe that the way to start them out is with that view, that you're on the road to partnership, uh, or do you start to think about alternatives that they may be interested in too?
1: So, everybody has the opportunity to become A partner we hire them thinking this is a future partner however if they or we decide that's not necessarily the track they want to go or the interest level or the ability whatever it is there are other ways to be successful and I look at myself and my peers in talent and professional development and we're not all lawyers but many of us are, and those were choices that we made. I find what I do incredibly fulfilling. I can't imagine feeling this level of satisfaction if I were still an employment lawyer. But associates don't know that coming out of law school, and so we just wanna make those opportunities available and train them that way, but also make the other opportunities available. So if an associate comes to me and says, I wanna get involved in some of these knowledge management projects, I'm not gonna sit there and say, no, you're an associate, you can't do that. And we do that on the staff side too. I've had people in the finance department say, I'm getting my master's and I have this organizational development focus. Is there any way I can get involved in some of your projects? I don't say no, I say yes, please. So we wanna train them for whatever their interest is because people are gonna stick with what they love. Mm -hmm. And if they don't love it, they're gonna find something else, whether we help them or not, why wouldn't we help them? And sometimes it means going to clients too. And so having secundments and having those types of opportunities available is something that's a win-win for our clients as well as our associates.
0: Do you see any trend developing with secundments? Um, you know, clients particularly, I go to ACC conferences and other clock meetings, and uh, they talk about the most important thing is that the lawyer should know their business. Uh, and uh, succ- succumbents seems like a, a perfect vehicle for that. Do you see any trend developing, either more of those, or status quo, or how, how do you see that that, that happening in the, in the real world?
1: I see an increased demand from clients for secondments, and I think the trick is making sure that it's mutually beneficial. So there are some associates that are asked to go on secondment, and at a pretty junior level too. I think even more junior because the legal departments at companies have expanded, so they have more junior people than ever before. So they want another junior person, let's say somebody's going on a family leave, and they'll say, can you supply somebody for a secondment? We always try and say yes, but at the same time, we're looking out for that associate's development and that associate's career. So we don't want them to fall behind. We also wanna make sure that if there is a discounted rate or something like that with a secondment, that we make that a win-win so that the associate isn't penalized from some financial disadvantage. And there are some firms where they have absolutely no idea what the associate collections are. And there can be a real advantage to that, Mm -hmm. because then you just put the right person on the matter and that's it and call it a day. Um, But in some cases, you're also looking at their profitability. And so you don't want that to be a negative either. And so making sure that you're supplying enough great people that meet your standards for secondments is getting harder and harder, but at the same time, those client relationships are so important. We're trying to meet those needs for the clients because they deserve that from us. We give them this level of service. They deserve secondments to support their business.
0: So interesting, so you do see more demand for it currently. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of balance and making sure it's gonna work out for both the associate, uh, the firm, and the, and the client.
1: Right, right, and no question, it does help us understand the client's business. So it, it's an investment from the firm, not just the associate, mm-hmm. but because we want to understand their business as well as we possibly can.
0: We're talking about what first year associates sort of glean about the business, yeah. obviously they all become uh, intimately familiar with the a billable hour and, and the number of billable hours uh, required and necessary, but uh, do they also think in terms of realization rates and that kind of thing, or is that for a, a future time in their development?
1: I think that depends, I think it's hard for them to really grasp it that first year. We do talk about it, um, but we also talk about the fact that it's the billing partner that's responsible, that an associate needs to put down all the hours that he or she puts in rather than cutting their own hours, and I think that's universal at any firm. But there is that delicate balance because we want them to understand what happens to their time without incentivizing them to do something that we don't think they have the judgment or the accountability to do. It belongs to the partner.
0: Okay, so that, that's interesting. So, But that you find that's a working uh, methodology. They understand that they should record their hours and then somebody else further down the line will make a decision about you know what's actually
1: built. Right, right.
0: Okay. Very good. Uh, you know, we talk about all the things that have to be done uh, at the firm. Uh, by the professional development team. Uh, that leads me to think, is, you know, is there a place in law schools for some of the professional skills that uh, that you train on at the firm? There have been some uh, curriculum developments around things like legal project management. Uh, often they're carved out into sort of like separate programs that might be a couple of days or even a two weeks or something like that that some of the faculty are starting to uh, pull together. Uh, have you had any experience? I know there are were, there were some programs that actually were in Chicago at, at Northwest and in yeah. Chicago, Kent. Uh, have you had any experience with those kinds of programs?
1: Well, we actually hire people coming out of those programs. So we have a project management team and a legal project management team. So when we're looking for people, somebody who has done one of those programs is a JD with a focus in legal project management. And those Those people are pretty golden to us. There are different tracks within that. Um, Same thing with knowledge management, too, or somebody who has a JD and a master's in library science. So those programs, I think, are fairly cutting edge in that they're looking at the rise in technology and how it feeds into what we're able to do for our clients in a more efficient way. So the future there, I think, is tremendous. We also do training on that internally. And actually, we've been going to our clients and doing some of that training. And I think that's a wonderful way to build up a real talent for something other than just understanding how to analyze case law.
0: So you've written the book on an, uh, an associate's first year, uh, and I understand you're planning a follow-up book to that. And uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, what, uh, what you're working on now?
1: Well, you're my publisher, so if you say it's okay, I can talk about it. So the next book is called um, Stepping It Up. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I chose that name, and I'm editing it, so I have my my whole cavalry of experts helping mm-hmm. everybody writes a chapter. But the reason why I chose that as the, the theme, stepping it up, is because when I first went into professional development, well, who am I kidding? I still hear it. The feedback that you get about mid-levels is, he needs to step it up. You see that in, in a conversation, you see that in a review, and you see it when you're looking at developing core competencies, and I would always push back and say, what does that mean? Because if you tell an associate, or anybody for that matter, you need to step it up, you're gonna get a blank stare and no change in behavior. So the whole idea of the book is breaking that apart into the 10 or 15 different meanings. What does it mean to step it up? And how does, it, how does a mid-level associate find the information and wherewithal within himself or herself to do it when they're not necessarily specifically told what to do?
0: All right so that's yeah so that's that's really brilliant i mean you can't give feedback that's not actionable that doesn't help advance uh the employee in in term, or the lawyer in terms of what you think, right. what their expectations are what your expectations are and what what they should be doing next in order to fulfill them so uh right. anything else you'd like to add about uh about the future of, of, of professional development um, you know, in, in, in firms and in, in any trends or things that you see developing mm-hmm. at this time?
1: I think there are two developments that have been slower at some firms than others, but you're gonna see it everywhere. One is remote learning. So as you have firms that used to have five offices that now have 20 and 40 offices. I mean, my former firm had 40 offices. This firm has 20 offices. What we're gonna see is the need for consistent training across the board. And that means using technology and having interactive video conferencing as part of it. So we have to hire people that are more e-learning specialists, instructional designers, having people like me that practice law, that's not enough. It has to have that kind of um, technology aspect to it to be effective across the board, that's one thing. The other thing is to really train people on artificial intelligence, technology, um, because there are these different tools that use artificial intelligence where you can take, let's say, a letter of intent and you can fill out a few questions in a software tool and then it spits out your sample purchase agreement for editing. It gives you that first draft. Um, There's another software out there that will take a whole brief and will shepherdize the whole brief. So you don't have to type in each thing. It's just an overlay to Microsoft Word. Those are the kinds of tools that if we're not teaching our associates as soon as they walk in the door about that availability, they're missing the boat because we count on junior associates to alert the partners because the partners don't go to those trainings. They rely on the associates to go to them and to say, hey, there's a tool that might actually be useful for our practice. How about I go work with knowledge management on implementing it? Those are the trends that I think we're gonna see more and more and those are gonna be the associates that are most successful.
0: So really keeping your finger on the pulse of technology, uh, trying to understand and anticipate the role that AI is going to play as we move forward mm-hmm. uh, in the profession. Right. All right. well that's great. Terrific, thank you. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest, Jennifer Bluestein of Perkins Coie for sharing her insights. We look forward to you joining us for another edition of PLI's Pd Insider. This is Craig Miller of the Practicing Law Institute. Thank you.